0: Hi everyone, I'm Paul Durham, and this is Telling Lies to Children. Thanks for joining me today on uh, this episode. Before I get started, I just wanted to mention uh, something you'll hear me talking about over the next uh, few months. Uh, if you are if you have young uh, readers, and more importantly, young writers uh, in New Hampshire or Southern Maine or Massachusetts, I am actually launching a brand new series of creative writing workshops for grades five through eight. It is called Tribe of the Mind. and that will those will be held every month uh, right in beautiful downtown Exeter, New Hampshire, uh, starting in January. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. More information will be coming. but in the meantime, you can go onto to my website pauldurhambooks.com, find the Tribe link. And uh, there'll be some information there where you can pre-register. Should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to get in there and start working. So rolling up my sleeves, working hands-on uh, with some great young writers. So on to today's episode today, I have on Liesl Shirtliff. Liesl is the best-selling author of the middle-grade uh, novels Rump, Red, and Jack. And uh, and Liesl was kind enough to spend some time with me. I uh, talked about a lot of fun things, and I think I may have coaxed her into giving uh, me a little sneak preview, maybe before she was supposed to, of what her next project is going to be. So stay tuned and listen for that. Um, thanks for joining us today, and you can pick it up with me and Liesl right after the intro. Shh. Are the kids gone? Good. It's time for Telling Lies to Children with me, your host Paul Durham. This is a first-of-its-kind podcast, one hosted by a children's author—that's me again—but intended for adults who live and breathe children's literature. That's you. Whether you're a librarian, a media specialist, a teacher, or a parent, we all work with children every day. But sometimes it's nice to talk like adults with adults who share our love of children's books and publishing. I'll be chatting with editors at the world's biggest publishing houses, literary agents, award-winning authors, booksellers, librarians, and even young readers. Join me and my guests as we give you a candid, behind-the-scenes look at children's publishing, the business of telling lies to children, but only the best kinds of lies, of course. Welcome and I hope you enjoy the show. So thanks for joining me on telling lies to children.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Paul.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so fun You know, I think this is actually uh, you were kind enough when I First published the luck uglies you were kind enough to answer questions for me and talk about Skype visits and things like that But I think this is the first time we've ever actually chatted right Yeah,
1: yeah. in real life
0: in, in real life or <laughs> at least virtually over I, Skype. Yeah,
1: not, not over email
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Um, so anytime I get, you know, any time I get somebody like you on, you know, on the podcast with me, I always just I, I love starting sort of with uh, authors origin stories. Right? Like, you know, how did um, how did Rump come to be? I mean, that that's obviously that was your that was your first novel. Um, it, it, wildly successful now, um, it, just a, a, a terrific book. I've read it. I know lots of people have read it. But wh- how did how did you you know, how did you find your way into. Um, how'd you find your way into writing? I, I intentionally didn't want to read too much of your, refresh too much of your bio because I kind of wanted to, you know, hear it fresh from you, but did you come from an MFA program? Are you like a lot of us and you just written all your life or what's the, what's the,
1: um, I think like my writing process, the way I got into writing was fairly organic. It wasn't necessarily planned all my life. Um, I've loved writing my whole life, but it was always largely a very personal thing for me. Um, I hated writing papers for school. I hated, I did not enjoy writing assignments because it was, I I was shy about it, you know? So I loved writing, but I didn't always want to share. Um, and I did not come from an MFA program like many of my fabulous colleagues, um, I I actually majored in college in, in music, dance, and theater. So I had always had a performance background and uh, always thought that would be kind of the route that I would go. Um, and I remember being in uh, my senior year of college, and I was in a class, and I had this professor, this acting professor that I absolutely loved. She was so inspirational, and I just I really wanted her to feel like I had something, you know? Sure. And um, – She wrote this letter to me at the very end of my senior year, which was really, it was very touching and inspirational. And she said, she said, I don't know if, if this is your path. I don't know if acting is like the thing that is going to happen for you, but you have some like creative spark in you that needs to be offered needs the the world needs to see. And I don't know what it will be used for, but it will be used for something. And I remember kind of feeling like a little heartbroken that she wasn't like, you are going to be this fabulous actress and it's going to be amazing. You know, you're going to have this great career, um, in acting, but, but she did, I do feel like she, she was very genuine and honest about saying what I had to offer that I had something there And after I graduated from college, um, you know, I ended up having my first baby. I was, you know, a young mom and I was still trying to figure out how I was going to fit my career in with my motherhood. Um, it was, you know, that can always be a very big shock. (laughs) Um, and I, I actually decided to take a writing course, a writing course for children. Um, and, uh, just for fun. I needed something. I needed some creative outlet and I ended up being paired with Kirby Larson, who's the okay. wonderful author of Howdy Big Sky, Howdy Ever After Duke, so many wonderful, wonderful children's books. Um, at that point she had, she was writing Howdy Big Sky. She hadn't yet published it, but, um, She was my she was my writing coach. Um, We worked one on one. She was very inspirational. And she said it was kind of funny as we were getting further and further into this course. She was like, you should keep going with us. She's like, you have something. And I think that you could do really well in in the children's literature world. So, uh, that kind of felt like to me, like I, as I was going, uh, this felt like a calling card and I started, um, I started writing, um, for magazines and having a lot of success, um, publishing with, with some magazines and newspapers and things like that. And so it was just kind of slowly, I kind of kept going with this and I was like, well, as long as I'm enjoying it and as long as I feel like it's going well, I'll keep going with it. And I wrote a couple of novels that were terrible.
0: <laughs> we, we all have.
1: Yeah, haven't we all? I mean, you have to, right? You have to, write the, you have to write the terrible stuff before the good stuff comes out. So I wrote a couple of terrible novels when I, um, I got the idea for Rump. So that was the long, the long roundabout <laughs> story of how I got finally get to Rump, where um, the origin idea for Rump, was really the world in which it happens, this world where names are your destiny. And um, for me, names are really interesting. I have always been interested in names mostly because of my own name. Liesl is a very, it's a different name. It's a German name, not very common in Germany anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And definitely not common in America. But um, I always wondered like, how my name affected me, how it made other people perceive me, how it can affect our, you know, identity. So I had this idea of names being our destiny, and I very quickly connected that with the Rumpelstiltskin tale um, because that's a story where names are very important. Um, And uh, Rumpelstiltskin was always one of my favorite fairy tales. I've always loved fairy tales growing up. Um, So those were kind of the that was kind of the very beginning that I like to usually liken it as an idea into a seed and that um, that seed sprouted and started branching off and more and more ideas came and it's not that it was easy or anything, not that it flowed from me like water. From a fountain but
0: <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if it did right
1: i you know i hear stories like that do you hear stories like that does that ever happen to you where like it just kind of flows from you <laughs> um,
0: i i i it does sometimes but so so my first book and i've heard stories like that and i've, I've talked with the authors who have had those experiences mostly with their first novels uh-huh. where it's almost like it's been inhabiting some space in their brains and in their imaginations for a long time uh-huh. and then when they finally get over that hurdle and for whatever reason uh, put themselves in a chair and commit to doing it. It sort of just flows. Um, and, it, and I, for me, the, the, the first book in, in my series did that, uh, part of it was because the way I was writing it, I'd, I'd always been one of those writers who always polished, polished, polished. I'd have two or three like completely beautiful early chapters of a book, but never actually pushed all the way through. And, um, Because of the way, and I've told the story before, the way the way I wrote mine was, I I was writing it basically just for my kids, really, and and they were this very demanding, eager audience who every week they were like, all right, well, what what happened next? Come on, we we don't want to wait any longer. So I I didn't really have the option of doing the polishing. I just had to focus on the story. Right.
1: So you went like the Dickensian route where he like you did it like in serials, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Basically, it was a um, it was an every uh, it was an every week sort of chapter type of demand. So it it took me, it it really did. And that way it was helpful for me because it, it got me past a point where I I was as a writer, which was always polishing and never pushing through that. It was, it was that sort of over perfectionism that results in procrastination sometimes for us. So
1: I don't think I have that problem. See, I think I'm even jealous of that story (laughs) (laughs) because for me. I'm like, I'm writing. And then all of a sudden I'll realize like, Oh, I really needed to add something else in the beginning to help me get through the next part. So I end up having to go back and rewrite half the story. (laughs) It's not about polishing. It's about like even, I don't know, like setting up the dominoes. So I I had, I was having a conversation with um, Franny Billingsley, who's a terrific young adult writer um, and has been a a great mentor to me. And I was kind of, expressing some of my struggles that I was having with my story. And she says, well, she's like, what you're trying to accomplish is set up these dominoes, you know, where when you tip over the first one, it just automatically knocks down all of the rest. But it sounds like you have a couple of dominoes out to the left or right that are in line. And you're, you're trying to like swing your elbow to make them knock over you know, so it's not, it's not like working out quite right. And I was like, and that just was like this light bulb in my head. I was like, Oh, I need to figure out where those dominoes are not lined up. But that, that automatically causes me to have to go back and just, and change things and rework things a ton. You know, I don't, I don't always know where I'm going. I, I am really haphazard about my process.
0: So do you not, so do you not, so when you say you're haphazard, so your writing style, and I, and I always find this interesting because I have a, a very sort of set way I do it. Um, I wish I, I was different about it, but do you find, uh, I mean, what do you start with? Do you start with a character? Do you start with a setting? Do you start with a, a, a plot? I wish I could start with the plot. I never start with plots. I'm always character and setting driven.
1: Yeah. I, I would like to say that I'm much more character driven, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I feel like plot and character are sort of inseparable, that you, you can't really have one without the other. So when I'm thinking of my character, I'm thinking about what it is that he he or she wants. What are they trying to accomplish? And that automatically connects with the plot, you know, because characters are not interesting if they don't have a goal, if they're not trying. I mean, I guess they could be if you're a really good, really, really good writer, you could make an aimless character pretty interesting,
0: you know? Um, you probably could, but you probably couldn't sell it, I suppose. I'm
1: trying to think of one. <laughs> There's probably some really obscure literary work where the character is fairly aimless. That's great, but that's not, that's, I can't imagine myself doing that. So I think I'm really trying to figure out, I have a care. I do really start with character. That's true. I'm starting with character. I'm starting with a world, obviously when I'm, um, you know, the world in which they inhabit is really important to me. Um, and how things work, what the culture is like, culture is uh, of the world is very important to me. Um, especially in the book that I'm working on right now, I think I can talk about this.
0: <laughs> well, go ahead. You started. Don't leave me. Don't don't leave me hanging. Yeah. What are you working on now?
1: Yeah, I started. I um. So I'm working on a Snow White retelling, okay. but it's it's from the point of view of one of the seven dwarfs. Oh, cool. So cool. I'm really opening up this world of dwarves who live underground. They all live underground. They're like these cave dwelling dwarves, and they eat gems. That's you know that's why they
0: dig up gems is because that's their food. Um. Can you say which dwarf the perspective is from or is that still to be determined?
1: Well, no, I think it'll be pretty evident uh by the title which we're getting ready to announce.
0: Is it Grumpy? I love Grumpy.
1: You're right, it is. Is it?
0: I just I just Grumpy's my favorite dwarf.
1: Yeah, so it's yeah. not it's not called it's actually called Grump. Oh, okay. Grump and Rump.
0: Grump and Rump. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> um and he so his name isn't Grumpy because that's a Disney dwarf, you know. We have to I, right. I am very I'm actually it was hard for me with this title because I'm really um I'm protective of my stories not being mixed up with, with Disney stories.
0: Not that I don't love
1: Disney because I do, but well, Disney
0: but, Yeah, there's no reasons why you have to. You can't you can't blend those.
1: There are real reasons, and 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 then I think even just personally, it's just like I wanted to, you know, to make sure that this is, you know, my story um, and my characters that I'm giving them, I don't know, fair treatment that I'm developing them in a really personal way. Anyway, so I think I digressed a little bit. No, keep I?
0: going. I, I want to hear about the story you're <laughs> telling, and in particular, Grump.
1: Yeah. So the world really affects. How the characters develop, right? I mean, our cultures have a huge part in how we as people um, think and act, and what what it is that we want. And so, developing the world of Grump, Grump's you know underground world, and how things work, and how the dwarves relate to each other and work together, um, was a really big part of developing his character and and also the plot those things were all very very connected.
0: Yeah, I bet. And, and how did you um so how do you that that's obviously a challenge when you when you're working with uh ex- existing you know fairy tales or myths or folklore or whatever it may be um how how are some of the ways that you sort of take that in and then and you know make it your own. You know, I I thought, you know, with Rump um Rumpelstiltskin it, it, he's you know that that's that's a fairy tale that hasn't gotten i would say as much um attention as some others i mean there are obviously the you know there's the cinderellas of the world i mean where you know there, there are certain fairy tales that have been revisited over and over again and I, I think one of the things that worked um so well about rump is that it it, it wasn't uh something that we've seen so many times um so how do you so I mean, how do you how do you choose the uh, you know how how do you choose uh, the uh, the fairy tales the characters the mythology that you that you're going to revisit and once once you select them how do you, you know how do you go about really making them your own
1: um, well i one is I am very um, careful about researching the fairy tales themselves right, so right. I read everything I could on Rumpelstiltskin and the point of view on that, uh, scholarly articles about it. There's plenty to be said about, um, how, you know, people interpret that fairy tale and what it meant to people in the, in Grimm's day. Um, but then, and then I also read as many Versions of it as I can retellings and there aren't a whole lot like you said there's it's not you know with Cinderella There's like over 500 versions of Cinderella (laughs) Uh, Rumpelstiltskin wasn't quite as difficult in that way. There's There's not too many um So I had the benefit of not having so much go before me in this story It wasn't done to death, you know um, and I also, um, the idea that I had for the story of making Rumpelstiltskin the hero, um, and not only the hero, but making it a humorous story, was so wildly outside of what had been done um And it, but it felt so right to me. That's what's kind of interesting is I felt like it was like, this is such a good idea. And I kind of kept looking over my shoulder and like Googling things. I'm like, someone has to have done this before, (laughs) you know, and there, and there is a, there is a wonderful, um, story by Donna Jo Napoli called spinners. And I'm not even sure if I'm saying your name right. Oh, this is the danger of talking out loud. Um, I can spell her name. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but spinners.
0: She's probably not listening. So go, you know, <laughs> go. <laughs> Sorry, Donna,
1: I said your name wrong, and you are listening. Um, but spinners was great. It had it was told from Rumplestiltskin's point of view, but it's a very dark story. It's more it's more adult. Like her stories are more. I feel like do kind of have the more flavor, the dark flavor for adults and not children necessarily.
0: Well, like, um, like like all the original Grim, you know all the original Grimm's fairy tales were all were all that's pretty true. dark.
1: Um, even her her style I feel like is even more uh, more li- a little more literary and and dark. Well, because like Adam Gidwitz he's he takes takes them down a dark path. But I feel like they are for children. You know yeah. uh, it's fabulous. Anyway, um, so for me for Rump it was a little easier because there wasn't a whole lot I feel like that was um similar to what i had intended to do so i had that to my advantage um when it came to building the world um it was sort of a mixture of uh paying homage to the original tales you know i i was pretty picky about all the names having um a german um, root that they were german names to pay homage to that being a, a German fairy tale. Um, but then I would definitely create things that were much more modern and, um, and my own sort of quirky personality seeping into that. So I think that, um, you know, we, we pay homage to what's come before us, but then we make it our own. We, we seep in our own personalities and, Feelings and emotions into it, and that's really what makes it original, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So, so you have at this point, you have, I mean, we you have three novels out. Um, there's Rump, there's Red and Jack. I don't know if I got Red and Jack in the right order. I think Red is the most recent one, right?
1: Red is the most recent one, yes.
0: Yeah. So, so ob- yeah. of course, you spend a lot of time um, with kids and talking with kids and. Skyping with kids and things like that. Can can you can you can you talk a little bit about that process? What you like about it? I I have heard through the grapevine that your music, dance, and theater background um, plays a plays a role in those visits.
1: <laughs> Occasionally, um, when upon request.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, it, it was okay. kind of a funny experience when I, I was at a conference when someone out of the blue asked me to sing, and I was like. Uh... <laughs> It was really kind of on the spot. She asked me to sing something from Into the Woods, which is my favorite musical. No surprise there.
0: It seems it seems it seems like it would be a good fit for you.
1: <laughs> it is, yes, it is. Um, and, has, and Stephen Sondheim has been influential. Um, and I just I was so taken aback, but I just like started singing. <laughs> and um, I think I got more Twitter action from that than anything else I did or said at that conference. And so. From there, I think it, the word kind of got around, and when I was at school visits or even on Skype, sometimes they say, "Will you, will you sing for us?" And um, I won't so, do
0: that to you. Thank it's, you. It's early in the morning. I'm,
1: yeah. I'm recovering from a nasty cold, so that's not going to go over well. I promise. Um, anyway, but school visits and Skype visits, I just adore. I just love finally getting to interact with my audience with the people that I wrote the story for Because they get it, you know, like they get it. They're so um, They're so into it and they have Like they ha- I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm sort of a grown-up Ten-year-old because like I start talking with those Fourth and fifth graders and I just love listening to them talk and I love You know hearing what they thought about the story and how they interpret it. And they can get really deep. That's what I love is that they get, you know, some adult might read the book and it's kind of like, Oh, this is cute, fluffy story. But the kids like really get some deep messages out of the story that I am just like, wow, you kids are so smart and intuitive. And, and they, um, you know, I think we just, we really underestimate kids a lot of the time
0: yeah absolutely i think i think you're right and and the fourth and fifth graders are are, they're so amazing um the stuff they pick up on in in books is you know they really can get the nuance and um i think frankly i think publishers underestimate them sometimes i mean we all underestimate them but publishers in particular i think underestimate the fourth and fifth graders of the world because um they're really getting things and and picking up on stuff and enjoying aspects of um all of our work as, as middle grade authors that yeah. I, that i that i think uh, kind of is lost on publishers sometimes again not 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 knocking the publishers but I, I think they're not on the ground so to speak like we are uh and they don't oh. you know, they don't see you know they're not in the classrooms they're not seeing the kids the things that the kids respond to and really do get and i think there's a there's a tendency on their part to just say oh this will be too much or cut this out. this is you know the, the kids won't get this they won't be interested in that um and at, my, at least my, it sounds like yours as is, is, is well as what I've seen, my hands-on experience is, is, is very different.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I will say that I think, I think that's true. I think uh, publishers have different objectives in, or they have different focuses, you know, than the writer might. And that can be kind of, that can sometimes come into conflict. And, um and I, and I've been there, you know, where, They've said, oh, I'm not sure you should do this or say this. And I've been like, why, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, sometimes though the, what they're asking for isn't because the kids won't get it or won't like it. Sometimes it's because the quote unquote gatekeepers won't get it or like it. And they're taking that into consideration. So, um, I, I find that to be, um, you know problematic in my writing that I'm I'm writing a story for you know 10 year olds and but then I have to take into consideration what the adults are going to say and think as
0: well Yeah well the I mean, the gatekeepers are such a big part of it for us I I actually think you know again with the t- the type of books that that you write um the type of books that I tr- I try to write um, I, I think they're actually even i think the gatekeepers really are great allies for us though because you know if you if you're trying if you're you know when you're trying to write stuff that is um layered and nuanced and and smart and i'm not saying that i necessarily effectively do any of these things that's not what I, that's not what i mean by saying this but i mean I think
1: you do it effectively paul
0: oh, well thanks i <laughs> heard' <laughs> Uh, well, well well I thank you but and, and but I think you know I I think if you're really trying to do to do stuff that that is you know entertaining and and, they're, and adventurous and makes kids excited to read it but at the same time there's you know there's something sort of of good and 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 meaty and thick in there that they can sink their teeth into um, you know, I've I, I found and you can tell by you know, you can tell by the gatekeepers' response to, you know, to books like yours and, and a lot of the other guests I have on. I try to have guests on the show that I whose work I appreciate and admire in some way. Um I, I think the gatekeepers are actually great allies for people like us, all lump us together. Um we've both had some success with gatekeepers. And so I I, I really I, I like having their voices and I think that they are helpful and I, I, I think they're I think they are best friends. Um, there are certainly some books out there I think that are maybe highly commercial that don't necessarily fit into what the gatekeepers are looking for, exactly. and that, that's a whole different discussion.
1: Um, I, I mean, this. I feel like teachers and librarians have been the total champions of my books, and are the reason why so many kids have enjoyed them and and like them. Um, I've only gotten one. Nasty letter. <laughs> Just one. Really?
0: From a librarian? Uh,
1: no, it was anonymous. So I don't know who no. they were. <laughs> I don't know if it was a librarian or teacher or parent or what. Um, but they they did not appreciate the potty humor.
0: The potty <laughs> <It's>, humor?
1: <laughs> yeah, which, I, which is so fun. At like,
0: I can't remember any potty humor in I your book. That's kind
1: of what I mean, in Rump, there's plenty. In yeah. Rump, there's plenty. Um, because it's called Rump. I mean, come on. It's rump and your name is your destiny. I and mean, where do you think I'm going to go with this? I think I call it, I call it tasteful potty humor. Right. It's tasteful. Um, and I think that must be true because you didn't really notice it being, you know, so overt or anything. I, I really feel like I was quite, uh, yeah, tasteful with that. But I think there are, there are two kinds of people in this world, those who appreciate potty humor and those who simply do not understand it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well t- there's nothing wrong with tasteful potty humor in my book.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. You know, but so, but there then there are some parents who just think it is totally inappropriate, and um, and that's something that I just have to kind of deal with. It's like, okay, if you really feel like this is inappropriate, then you know, it's not for you.
0: <laughs> and they, did they take the time to to write an actual letter, or did they send you an email?
1: No, it was typed. Wow. And I think it was typed on a typewriter. Like this was, this was a serious note.
0: I guess so. They, yeah, they I were know. offended.
1: Yeah, I think it might have been a family member if they had my address. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I have my suspicions.
0: <laughs> well, well, good, well, good for you. you. You if you're not doing your job, if you're not getting some nasty letters from somebody, have, have has your, but do you know if your has your book gotten banned in any schools?
1: Oh no, I don't know. No, I don't. I've never heard of that. Um,
0: oh. Has yours? Yes, it has. I'm so excited. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I don't
1: know how I would feel about that. I guess um, I don't know how I would feel if my. I feel like my books are so appropriate. And well,
0: yeah, they are. They are. And, of course, they are very appropriate.
1: And I'm not saying yours is inappropriate. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, well, I feel like any any book that has magic though is at risk.
0: Well, it's funny. It wasn't even the and I t- I when I do my school visits, I always tell the story. I go, I go through different books that were banned at various times and you can go back to, all the way to, you know, Charlotte's web was was banned by some places when it was written and, you know, wonderful wizard of Oz. I mean, you can name all these great classics. And then I say, well, I used to make a joke. Um, wouldn't it be nice if my book got banned? Cause then maybe everybody would like to read it. And, <laughs> but I can't make that joke anymore because yeah, it was actually my second book. Um, I had a fan in the Midwest somewhere, which I, I won't name where, um, that wanted to donate the first book to her library, and the librarian took it and went through it, and then she looked at the other, the names of the other books in my series and came across the second book, which is called The Luck Ugly's Fork-Tongue Charmers, and decided that based on that title, Fork-Tongue Charmers, uh, that maybe she shouldn't have that in the school, so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's a so I can... I give myself a pat on the back. Yeah. I don't I feel like I haven't arrived until I got my book banned somewhere.
1: Okay, I still I haven't met that far yet. So so if there are any listeners out there who have banned my books, let me let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, let least know so we can we can add her to the club of the ba- the you banned have, book club.
1: Yeah. not that I am not like vying for that position cuz I I kind of have mixed feelings about it. It's just like uh okay, you know, like um oh come on
0: you gotta ruffle some feathers i
1: am so sensitive about ruffling feathers paul i'm Uh, really sensitive about that
0: oh but i mean yeah no but uh, obviously there's no there's no good reason why why your books should be banned in any (laughs) in Uh, in any school
1: (laughs) yeah there are lots of books that i don't feel like there are good reasons for them being banned but that's neither here nor there
0: right and that's but that's kind of the point i think right i mean it's like you know, someone, 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 somewhere is going to find your, you know, your book to be subversive. And I think if you're really, if you're really writing books, that there's really no reason why they they should be banned or 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 you know taken out of libraries or chastised in some way. Yeah,
1: it's it's yeah. tough. It's a tough subject. That's a yeah. tough. You know, that's hard because I I believe in free speech.
0: <laughs> well I, I you know I think there's a, there's clearly especially with the middle grade market, there's a distinction between um, banning books and saying the books aren't age appropriate I mean that's that's a that, those are two very different things I mean yeah,
1: definitely, yeah. yeah, yes, definitely because there are books that I certainly don't want my you know like my daughter was asking me if she could read a certain series of books and I was like, yeah, let's wait a couple of years on yeah. that one you know? like I'm happy it's a really good series, and I love for you to read it, but i I think you need to have a few more life experiences maybe before we
0: expose you to that. Yeah, right. exact Exactly. And that's what I think that's one of the, the, you know, one of the challenges that some of the elementary school librarians have is that you have kids in their reading habits now, kids who are avid readers. Um, and because they're, growing up not to sound like a cliche or like an like the old guy with kids who are getting old or getting or growing up too fast but kids do seem to grow up so fast now they they want they you know they want to read books that are you know they want to read ya books when they're in fifth grade well
1: maybe they're at you know kids grow up differently and in different circumstances and um and might need a certain book that another child might not yet be ready for right you know who's at the same age but because of their life experiences and their but that's, that's kind of where I feel like, you know, I'm very in tune with what my children are reading, mm-hmm. you know, and I, but that's, that's kind of my thing. So I guess the librarians are trying to maybe do the job that the parents aren't, you know, necessarily aware that they, they should do, or, you know, or maybe the parents don't really care. Um, what, What you know, there's different philosophies on this. I have no like judgment for parents who say read whatever you want, you know, go for it. I think that's, you know, that is your choice. My, my personal um, approach has been to allow my children to read whatever they want. And if they really want to read a certain book that I have hesitations about, I'll, I'll read it too. So we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, that makes a lot. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a very it seems, it seems very wise. I mean, so speaking of, you know, speaking of librarians, I so what have you I, I remember librarians and I'm not just I'm not just going to go down this line of uh thought because uh, I'm pandering to them because they may be listening, but I remember school librarians. I should say I hardly remember school librarians when I was a kid. Um but the ones I meet now for the most part are so dynamic and hands-on um I, you know, I interviewed a librarian on the podcast a few weeks ago, and, you know, the whole topic was, you know, shush, you need to shush the librarian, not the kids, because she's the loudest one in the library. Um, and and I find that almost every school I go to, it's just, it's librarians and media specialists today. It's, they take such a, such a I don't know, such an enthusiastic and... Uh, terrific approach to the libraries like libraries are the libraries and schools are places where the kids want to go you know what I mean as opposed to being like the, the, the quiet like uh, You know shush don't say this don't say that you have to you have to tiptoe around like it's a cathedral It's a it's a place where people the kids go and they have a blast and they they really you know There are maker spaces. What, what's your what's your impression been when you've been uh, to
1: similar? I I say um, That librarians and the library they're the heartbeat of a school and you can they set the tone and the culture of a school i i i really feel that the there are two people who are are the most influential people in setting the tone and culture of a school and that's the principal and the librarian i can tell by those two people alone what kind of environment i'm going to be stepping into and my experience has been that librarians are the happiest people in the world. I I have often said that if I wasn't going to be a writer, I would choose to be a librarian because they are just, I mean, they're so enthusiastic about helping kids find the books that they, you know, that they will love to read and sharing the books that they love reading and, and spreading it to other people. Um, I love it when I walk into a, a library and there are reading spots. There was one library where I visited and there were bean bags everywhere. And I was like, this is the best, you know, like I want this room. Um, so there were kids just sitting around on bean bags, reading their books. And, um, I just, and then the, another one where they, they had like a reading fort, like it was like a tree house almost kind of thing where they had this big was that, platform.
0: Was that in Houston by any chance?
1: I think it might've been. Because I visited a lot of schools in Texas and Houston. Yeah. So, yeah, there was this one school um, where they had this great platform fort with lots of pillows and kids could just sit up there and read. And um, I just I think that's awesome. So, yeah, I think librarians are just completely amazing and doing great work with kids and helping them, you know, find those books and inspiring them to read it's it's fabulous a, a wonderful librarian is priceless in a school i mean it's amazing
0: yeah they, i i've just i like i said i the they, they, i feel like they've come a long way and <laughs> and maybe they were always terrific and i just didn't appreciate it when i was younger but um but i, I definitely appreciate appreciate them now um lisa what do you have coming up i mean we, we talked a little bit about your next project although i assume that that's Maybe what a year or two away before that. Uh, what, what's what, yeah? What's...
1: We're looking at spring of 2018.
0: Okay, and um, and so what? What do you got uh, going on this fall? Are you are you doing your usual um, your usual busy schedule of of you know Skype visits, in person visits, festivals, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, um, lots of school visits. Um, I'll be at uh, NCTE, the National Conference for Teachers of English. English, <laughs> I can speak English. Um. And, uh, but yeah, mostly school and Skype visits and then just have actually kind of pulled back a little bit on that travel schedule and and the school visit schedule because I, I am, I do need to write. I have, in addition to Grump, I'm actually starting a new series, which I won't actually, um, publicly divulge. (laughs)
0: No no (laughs) more, no more breaking news for me. No
1: more breaking news. (laughs) Um, And so I have I have a few things kind of going which require me to just spend a little more time at my desk, which also requires me (laughs) to go visit the chiropractor a little bit more. Um, My posture is apparently terrible from sitting it, from being short. That's actually the real problem.
0: I I sit I sit on a buoy. Do you ever see one of those buoys that you sit on and it forces you to sort of balance yourself and have good posture?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. I think um, my issue, and I that probably would really help me. But part of my issue is that my <laughs> I'm so short, my feet don't properly touch the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I I've
0: never met you in person, so I don't have an appreciation for I'm how only,
1: short I'm you are. Really I'm only 5 are. two. I'm five two, so I'm I am short, and uh, I have to put a like a thick book underneath my feet, so my feet are sitting at a 90-degree, my legs are at a 90-degree angle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then, yeah. and then here's a tip for for people who are um, sitting at desks for long periods of time, like writers or, you know, other teachers or, you know. Uh, my my physical therapist taught me the Bruger's posture relief position. So if you look that up, the Br- it's like B- B-R- u e g g e r s something like that if you were to type if you were to google it you would find you would find it this Bruger's posture relief position, which helps kind of like you know counteract the maybe slouching that we're doing as we're sitting in our chairs and writing. so I've had to uh incorporate some physical therapy into my daily routine <laughs>
0: Well, it, it, it is it is an occupational hazard, I guess. I, I try to walk every day, just not that it's the most vigorous exercise, but I do find it sort of helps stretch everything out and just keeps everything looser than if I'm just sitting all day.
1: Yeah, I need to like do that. I need to do it more often throughout the day because I, I exercise at the beginning of the day, but then I'll sit for like six hours and that's no good.
0: Yeah. So anyone who's listening that, that you know, if you think writers have it easy, that is definitely a a hazard. Oh, yeah.
1: We've got issues.
0: <laughs> That's right. Compressed spine. I mean, it's it can be grueling. <laughs> <laughs> um well that 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 all sounds at least it was just it was great chatting with you and um your um, your upcoming projects just sound like so, so much fun. I'm really, you know, really looking forward to to hear more about them and I know there's a little bit of a wait, but um it sounds like it'll be time well spent.
1: Hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Thanks um, thanks so much for having me on, and it was fun to, to chat.
0: Same here. All right, well, thank you, and uh, we'll have to connect and do it again soon. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, Telling Lies to Children was brought to you by, well, nobody. Just me and my guests. One of the nice things about being completely unknown in the vast world of podcasting is that you don't have to listen to me read 10 minutes worth of ads at the beginning and end of every episode. But I hope you'll check out my website, pauldurhambooks.com. There you can find out more about the Luck Ugly series, you can book a school visit, you can shop the newly opened Dead Fish Inn gift shop, or just reach out and say hello. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find links to all of my guests' websites and social media there. So until next time, I wish you happy reading, ugly luck, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. That woke you up. See you next time.